you realize you have too many thoughts because you you are now aware of the thoughts. That's good. So so the thing is is to to get rid of self is to know self. So all of these thoughts are generated from self. So it's frustrating sometimes because they're there. That's why the masters they said that you have to to fight ten thousand enemies. So it's okay. The thing is, is that what you have to realize, instead of trying to pick out and say, I have to fight these ten, then you're next, line up to fight me. You just sit, and when you sit, you just let go of everything. When you let go of everything, no matter what what comes up, you have no fear. Because you know that if you just are aware, and if the thoughts are arising, don't follow them. You get tired because you start following and chasing them. But don't do that. Just simply be aware that they're arising and let them take their place. It's like you're opening up the auditorium and everybody runs to get a seat. So let's open the door and let them all come and, and fill up the, the, the mirror. Let them all come in. Just come, 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 come. Let them come. Naturally coming. And you're just there. You're looking at all of them but not looking at any one. And you're aware that they're there. Let them go. They come up and they come in front of your face. Ooh, fright. Scary, scary, scary. You just go up, back up there. You back up there. You back up there. And you don't look at them. You don't give them any thought. Then it will help. But the fact that you realize you have so many thoughts is a good sign. Because that means before you didn't realize how many you had coming in. Just have faith that if you, if you hold with the method little by little the thoughts will slow down and and they'll have less of a, an impression on you um, a physical Im impression on you they, they will not create any kind of, of uh, an effect on your body so you'll be fine just natural just just hang in there I don't think so. I, th I think that there's more of them because you now have the ability to discern that they're coming in. Before, they were just one big lump of consciousness that, that's there, and you were ignorant about them coming in. But now, just like the Master say, be aware of the thoughts arising, all of a sudden you become aware, hey, what is this? How many of them are there? And you look and you see so many of them. So that's good. That's illuminating the mind. So not bad, even though they come in, you know, if, if you see them, that's the first step. Not bad. That's progress. Um, some of them are kind of scary. So it's like, uh, I don't want to see the scary thing, so I open my eyes. And then, you know, when I open the eyes, I see the floor. So do you think when I see some scary, yeah, just just meditate with your eyes open, and that that way, whether they're scary or they're attractive, you you don't attach to them. You'll be fine. You know, the the main thing is is that scariness comes up because the mind is very clever, so it wants to get your attention. So if it offered you something that's neutral in thought, you would be easy to get it away. But what it does is it wants to bring up something to, to get you to come off your method. It is just that way. The, the mind is just that way because the habit energy, you're so used to grasping. So the mind automatically says, hey, you like grasping at things, so let me give you something to grasp. But then you change it, and you say, no, I don't want to grasp anymore. So that it's like, but you used to like to grasp, so let me give you something that to grasp onto. And so then you get the scary thought coming up. So it, it comes up because you put it there, and, and from the habit, so you have to have the faith that, that you will overcome that. And, and little by little, the thoughts will, will stop having such an intensity. So, by understanding that you naturally put them there, and they're naturally arising, then they won't have the effect that they used to have on you. So you should not be afraid of, of anything that's arising in a mind. 
it's just your mind. It cannot hurt you. So so you're fine. Okay. So I should put some good salts. Huh? So you said because I put I have a feeling I put something in my subconsciousness that more like I always scared of driving and I always try carefully that there's like cautious salts and you know, maybe I put it in my subconsciousness and then So, so you see this, I need to put some positive and good, you know, um, No, just leave it alone. The positive is just not attaching to it. So you just leave it alone, and by its own, it'll disappear. By its nature, it'll disappear, because you're not giving it any energy. When the scary thought comes up and you go, ooh, that's scary. Yeah. Now you've just given it more energy. You're pumping it up. Now you're pumping this scary, you know, um, or whatever it is there, but it's just a, an illusion. So the way you let it out is you just go, oh, just take your place on the wall with the rest of the stuff. And then it goes out. It loses its own energy. You just have to know how mind works and be patient and not be, not be afraid of the things that are rising at, at the, the mind's gates. You just let them go. Some of them are real. Some of them are like real problems that you have that come up in your mind. Naturally they're going to come up. So I've had a couple of those come up and they kept coming up and then by me not giving them energy finally they just died. They're still problems but I don't have to be thinking about them 24-7. So, so they just go away. And, and if I think about it, yeah of course they're going to affect me. But if I don't then I give them no mind energy. I use my wisdom to try to solve the problem if I can. But but I don't have to be thinking about them all the time. Okay? Any other questions? No? All right. So we continue on. This time we're going back to a Ling Chi. Um, He's one of my favorites because Ling Chi's kind of like one of these guys that, that tells it like it is, and um, he doesn't care. You know, he's going like, "Hey, um, some places I go, the people don't like me." He goes, well, "That means I'm doing my job right." So, not bad guy. Go, that's the guy because that means he's he's saying the things that he wants to do. You know, he needs to say. There's his followers of the way. The really first-rate person knows right now that from the first there's never been anything that needed doing. It's because you don't have enough faith that you rush around moment to moment looking for something. You throw away your head and then look for your head. You can't seem to stop yourself. You are like a bodhisattva of, of perfect and immediate enlightenment who manifests his body in the Dharma realm, but who in the midst of the Pure Land still hates the common mortal and prays to be a sage. People like that have yet to forget about their choices. Their minds are still occupied with thoughts of purity and impurity. But the Chan school doesn't see things that way. What counts is this present moment. There's nothing that requires a lot of time. Everything I say to you is for this moment only. Medicine to cure the disease. Ultimately it has no true reality. If you can see things in this way you will be true people who have left the household. Free to spend 10,000 pieces of gold every day. So essentially he's saying to spend 10,000 pieces because every moment is so precious. You, you, you can live every single moment rather than being caught up in some kind of a, um, a dream state where you're thinking of the future or thinking of the past. You're here in this moment and you can taste the food. You can, you can taste the company that you're with. Experience all the things that are there. And it's in this way. So where they're saying He's saying, ultimately, there's no true reality. He's poking at, at the Theravadans who, who have the idea of that there's 
everything is real. But what he's saying is there's no true reality. Just this moment to moment that we're we're looking at this and and this is how you see the world. So he says, followers of the way, don't let just anyone put their stamp of approval on your face. Don't say, I understand Zen. I understand the way, spouting off like a waterfall. All that sort of thing is karma leading to hell. Wow, so he's like telling you, okay, not just don't just do it, but if you do it, you'll go to hell. And the reason is what he's saying is this, is that there's many different people who, who will say to you, oh, you know, you're enlightened give me $10,000 or you're enlightened you know and you can follow me and they say I'm following him because he says I'm enlightened so that's good for me but he's saying don't let any just anyone put their stamp of approval on you in other words saying if you start looking for the stamp of approval and oh that you've reached this level or whatever I have one one student in particular that is very well accomplished but I will not tell her that I, I don't tell her so that it doesn't feed her ego. And she keeps practicing and practicing. And what what one master said was that he was practicing with this one master and the two words that that the master said to him, always said to him was, not yet. Pretty good, that's a good master, not yet. You haven't gotten there yet. And that's the way it is. The masters, they won't tell you that. And if you ask them about it, that's even worse. But the thing is, is that you 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 don't go and get a cheap uh, seal of approval. You practice hard, and 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 let it come to you. It'll come to you naturally. And um, and he's saying that who don't looking for the uh, oh, excuse me. Um, if you're a person who only wants, honestly wants to learn the way, don't go looking for the world's mistakes, but set about as fast as you can looking for the true and proper understanding. If you can acquire the true and proper understanding that's clear and complete, then you can think about calling it quits. So what is the true and proper understanding? I always refer to what it's called. Anybody? Right view. You have to have what he's calling the true and proper understanding is the right view. One of the prerequisites to becoming an, a Dharma heir is, is that we have the right view of things. And we protect that right view. We are like Dharma protectors to make sure that you get the right view. Everything that you've been learning today is right view. What is the right view? How mind works. If you don't know how mind works, then when you get on your cushion, you're not going to be able to make much progress. But with right view, you make progress. And sometimes it seems like you're only going a little bit, then all of a sudden it moves very quickly. But it just takes the time to, to invest in that, looking at the right view. Because the right view tells you how mind works. So when you're sitting on the cushion, you're not frustrated, you're not somebody that has no clue as to why these thoughts won't stop or whatever you look at it and say this is natural that it's in this way and you see it followers of the way if you take the words that come out of the mouth of a bunch of old teachers to be the description of the way you think oh this is the most wonderful teacher i have only the mind of a common mortal I would never dare to try to fathom such venerableness. He says, blind idiots. Mm -hmm. You go through life with this kind of understanding betraying your own two eyes, cringing and faltering like some donkey on an icy road. Boy, that's the way with words. Mm -hmm. Saying, I shall never speak ill of such a, a good teacher. I'd be afraid of making a mouth karma followers of the way a really good friend is someone who dares speak ill of the buddha speak ill of the patriarchs pass judgment on anyone in, in the world throw away the, the tripitaka revile those little children and in the m midst of opposition 
and ascent. Search out the real person. So for the so he's saying, you know, this is the way it is. You you have to say it like it is, okay? And and so you say your opinion, but sometimes it's not really, you know, uh, you're not going to win your popularity contest, but you still have to do that. So I was once in a meeting with uh, very high-level people, and, and there was this one one um, person um, that was talking about the program for for Dharma Drum, and they're talking about how they were developing the Dharma teachers and how to teach the Dharma. And I went, "You cannot teach the Dharma," and she looked at me like very shocked, and. I said, you cannot teach the Dharma. And so the Udon the the Abbot President of the whole organization was there. And, and another monk who was listening, and he, he was smiling, kind of laughing. And, and she was shocked because I said that to her. And then I said, no one can teach the Dharma. This is not the way it is. And so you having a program to teach the Dharma is, you know, not, not correct. And so then when they translated to Budon Fashia, the abbot, then he just went like that, sitting next to me, he hit me on the, like that, going, that's right. But the other person wasn't happy with that. But what I wanted to do is make it clear, you're not turning out Dharma teachers. And if you're going to turn out Dharma teachers, Anything that I said today isn't teaching the Dharma. The Dharma cannot be taught. You have to experience it. That's why I spend so much time saying, what happens to you when you're on your cushion? Trying to get to you to have some kind of an experience of it. You know, I can set, set out the fundamentals for you, but, I, but you have to go the rest of the way. And so I have to be clear about it, and I have to be clear and true to to uh, the, the teachings and, the, and, and Master Shen Yang in terms of, of making this clear. When we say teachings, it's an expedient word saying these are the things that we do, but, but the Dharma itself has to be experienced. And so what we do, if it could be taught like ABCs, then that's one thing. But all we can do is just set the table for your practice. So. We, so he says, um, so for the past 12 years, I've been looking for this thing called karma. Pay attention, there's going to be a test here. So for the past 12 years, he says he's been looking for this thing called karma. I've never found so much of a particle of it the size of a mustard seed. So he said he's never found anything even the size of a mustard seed for a thing called karma. What does he mean? It's all in what I've taught you today. You just have to punch it into the machine, the contemplation machine. He's saying there's nothing like karma. Wait a second, we're always talking about karma. And here's this master saying there's no karma. Karma doesn't actually exist, we just create it. Karma doesn't actually exist, we just create it. Okay, hold on to that. Um, it is not outside of mind. It's not outside of mind. What are you saying? Well, I was going to say, yeah, there is it causes and conditions that fail and, and mind. And so it seems that it's all part of mind. So if we, so if we have karma, that would mean that there would be an individual that's going to receive it. So he said he's looked all this time for karma and he could not um, he could not find it because in order, if you say karma exists, then you say individual lives and beings exist to receive it. So the idea of karma, just like you all said, it's all in mind. It's just mine. And so when it's just mine, what he's doing is pointing directly towards the absolute truth. 
in apparent reality, it's applicable. But in in actual uh, reality or absolute reality, it is not applicable. It is why they're said there's no wisdom nor any attainment. No, there is no suffering, no cause of suffering, because it's all pointing towards everything as mine. And so throughout this whole day I've been spending talking to you about mine simply so that you will not be um, confused when you sit on your cushion. It makes it easier because when you sit there and you go, ah, there is no suffering, there is no thing. All I have to do is understand that and just understand how mine works and these things go away on their own. Not bad. Not bad. You just have, that puts the faith in you in terms of doing it. So when I read that, I went, holy mackerel, that is so good. That is so, I mean, that is going straight to the source of it. But people will look at it and go, huh? I don't understand that. It's because you will never understand. Because you don't exist. By the very nature of his response, it's why you, you could never understand it. So it's pretty cool. So we continue on. He, he blessed everybody. Those Chan masters who are as timid, so he's talking about people who are teaching. Those Chan masters who are timid as a new bride, oh my God, he's got a new <laughs> are afraid they might be expelled from the monastery or deprived of their meal of rice, worrying and fretting. But from times past, the real teachers, wherever they went, were never listened to and were always driven out. That's how you know they were men of worth. If everybody approves of you wherever you go, what use can you be? Hence the saying, let the lion give one roar and the brains of the little foxes will split open. This is good stuff. <laughs> because what he's saying is that when you speak the true Dharma, the Dharma is just that way. It, and and there's, it shakes the worlds, literally shakes the worlds with, with its with the truth behind it and and it is something that that when it's done it makes those who are unsure about their own practice even if they're considered Dharma teachers or whatever quiver they they're they're not clear about what they're what what they're doing because it's so powerful and that's what he's saying is that this is the real dharma. This is this is how you you do things, and 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 it exposes those who were like like the charlatans. Once I remember, I was at um, uh, the Sea Light Temple in um, in California, and and um, we're meeting up with this one uh, great fortune teller who actually was in town because people spend money to fly him out and give him their fortune and look at his, their house and everything. And there were people that were acquainted with me and, and they said, oh, you know, to him, you, you, you got to meet Gilbert. And so I had lunch with him and he had brought his entourage with him and uh, um, the fortune teller-like, Chinese fortune teller-like. And, and so he was saying, well, Gilbert, you know, he goes, I heard you have power, you know, that you can see things. And and he said, is that true? And I said, I don't have any power. And um, and then he just kept pressing me and pressing me and pressing me. You, I'm sure you can see things, you can do that. So I said, I don't have any power, but I'll tell you a story. And so, so um, I told him the story about this um, this prince that was walking through the forest and and he came upon this master who was sitting on this very thin limb of a tree just sitting there like di almost divine gravity because the limb was so small but yet there he was sitting meditating on, in, on the branch of the tree and so when the master came, or the, excuse me, when the prince came by, he looked at, at him and said, 
oh, you know, um, oh, master, do be careful, you might fall off that limb. And the master just looked down and said, quite to the contrary, it's you who are in a perilous condition due to your greed, hatred, and ignorance. And you must be mindful of that. And when I finished telling the story, the fortune teller was shaking. And, and that's the power of the Dharma. When, when it faces this, and even though this person has this great ability to see the future and do all these things, he really didn't have that ability to do it. But when, when given the true Dharma in terms of, of how things are, it, it made him shake. And, and he didn't, couldn't say anything in that moment. Be, because, and that's what Ling Chi's saying is, is that when the people, they listen to that and the people are going around trying to say that they have you know, this and that and they can do this, they can't stand before them. It, it's so powerful. And so what he's saying is you have to see things from the true and proper understanding, this right view. And that right view will protect you. And it's clear. And this is what should be presented not some other things, but but this right view. The right view will enable you to be able to, to look into your true nature. So we continue on. Um, followers of the way. Here and there you hear it said that the, there is a way to be practiced, a dharma to become enlightened to. Will you tell me then just what the Dharma, what Dharma there is to be enlightened to? What way there is to practice? In your present activities, what is it that you lack? What is, is the practice that you must mend? But those little greenhorn monks don't understand this, and they immediately put faith in a bunch of wild fox spirits letting them spout their ideas and tying people in knots saying when principle and practice match one another and proper precaution is taken with regards to the three types of karma of body, speech, and mind only then can one attain Buddhahood. People who go on like that are as plentiful as springtime showers. Yesterday, some of you weren't, how many weren't here yesterday? Oh, we talked about the reason he's referring to this fox is we talked about that as a different story left yesterday about a, a master who who uh, came upon a, a cave and where there was a dying fox and when he came upon the cave with a dying fox the the fox started uh, talking and the, the the master had his attendant with him the young attendant and he's going master the fox is talking and he's going yes and, and the master is going, as a matter of fact, and, and the, the young attendant's wide-eyed. And so the, the master asked him, how did you come about to be in this fox body? And he says, actually, I used to be a monk, but I, someone asked me a question, and when he asked me the question, I did not respond properly. And as a result, I've been spending lifetime after lifetime being a monk, oh, excuse me, being a fox. And he says, well, what was the story? So he said, well, what was the question? He says, someone asked him if one achieves Buddhahood, is one still subject to the laws of karma? And so he said to him, so he said to the person that asked him, no. And so as a result of that, he continued on as, as a fox. So, for those of you who were not there yesterday, what would you have said to this person who asked the question? If you reach Buddhahood, are you still subject to the laws of karma? Use what you've learned today. I thought you said karma doesn't exist. Yeah, but that's... There's no laws for but it nevertheless appears though here right so 
So, because you're talking about absolute reality and we're talking about a parent, I understand why you're saying that, but in, in this per particular example, to the person who is stuck in the human realm, they're subject to karma. But in fact, there is no karma there. But why is it that way? So, is he subject, is the Buddha subject to the laws of karma? You say yes. yes. Okay. Anybody else? Nobody. There has to be. It, I mean, it seems that the answer would be now, the answer would be no, because the Buddha isn't identified with an ego. So mm -hmm. the Buddha, body Buddha, this entity Buddha, this being Buddha, would give that up. It would be more of a, of a global karma. I mean, maybe the whole community would be subject to it, but as an as an entity, it wouldn't be. Oh, there was another fox. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you almost had it. You were working. You were dancing right around it, and then you just fell in the hole, the foxhole. <laughs> Anybody else? It's all in the mind. Okay. So the thing is, is this. So, so he said. I told him that he wasn't, but he says, "Can you tell? Please tell me what the real answer is." And he says, "He says yes." He goes, "Bless you." He said that the Buddha is at one or at harmony with the laws of karma. See, that's why I say you almost had it. You were there, and then you went eh, and you. You change it at the last minute, so I give you half credit for that. Mm -hmm. So, in any case, the thing is, is that why? Because everything is mine, like you were saying. Everything is mine, so there is not a standalone Buddha outside of mine that says, "Oh, I'm immune from this." You know, um, I got diplomatic immunity. No, you. There, the the Buddha is part of mine, and so it has to be by by the definition of these laws of karma, which is the Buddha itself, has to be at one or in harmony with it. And so it's very important because what what uh, Master Ling Chi is, is doing is he just keeps pointing to the self-nature of mind, keep pointing to it, and part of that is showing, hey, there's no karma here. Why? Because of that. So what he's saying is, when he's talking about these foxes here, he's talking about those who, who really don't understand mind at all, but they're they're teaching others, and they're they're teaching them in a way where they they're um, they're not teaching them correctly. So if we want to go around and try to polish our consciousness, we cannot do that. We can't polish consciousness. All we have to do is just see clearly, and everything else will take care of itself. So he's he's. He's really trying to say to people, there probably was a, a few people around at that time with erroneous beliefs and and they were looking at it in, in, in the wrong way. He didn't understand what what the, the, the true meaning of mind was. And what's the meaning of mind? Mind. There you go. See? <laughs> A man of old said, If along the road you meet a man who is a master of the way, whatever you do, don't talk to him about the way. Therefore it said, If a person practices the way, the way will never uh, proceed. Instead, 10,000 kinds of mistaken environments will vie in poking their heads up. There's your 10,000 uh, scattered thoughts that you have. But if the sword of wisdom comes to cut them all down, then even before the bright signs manifest themselves, the dark signs will have become bright. Therefore the old man said, the everyday mind is the way. And that's really important because as you begin to practice it and you, you gain some insights, you find everything is just ordinary and mundane. And we use just this ordinary mind. There's nothing special to it except for the fact that it's a Buddha mind. But 
we, we don't have to put ribbons on it or anything else or, or do anything. It's just the mind. Fellow believers, what are you looking for? This man of the way who depends on nothing, here before my eyes, now listening to the Dharma, his brightness shines clearly. He's never lacked anything. If you want to be no different than the patriarchs or the Buddhas, learn to see in this way. Never give in to doubt or questioning when your mind moment to moment never differentiates. It may be called, you may be called a living patriarch. If the mind differentiates its nature and manifestations become separated from one another. And this is kind of important. So he's saying when, when the, um, the mind differentiates, that its nature, the nature of the mind and its manifestations become separated. Because what happens then is that the mind's working on, on the, the illusory notions of self running through consciousness. And so that always picks the wrong door. It always picks the wrong curtain, like on let's make a deal. It picks the self curtain. And so it's separated from the true thing. So had they asked the true nature, which door you should pick, you know, it would tell, tell them the best one to pick based on wisdom, not on greed. And so, so he's saying that that's how it differs. But as long as it does not differentiate, its nature and manifestations do, do not become separated. And that's where I made a little note on the side saying harmony or at one with, which is the same as that, the story of the fox. Someone asked, what do you mean by the true Buddha, the true Dharma, and the true way? Would you explain that to us? The master said, the Buddha, this is the cleanness and the purity of the mind. The Dharma is the shining brightness of the mind. And the way is the pure light that is never obstructed anywhere. The three are in fact one. All of the empty names have no true reality. So he's saying to him, this is, this is our way. You know, in terms of how we look at it, these are all this clear light, but none of them really have a, have a name. That's just the way it is. And, that's, and, and they don't have separately a true reality. So when we talk about absolute reality, the reason we say absolute reality is because we don't see anything separate from it. So even if we say there's an illusory reality, that nevertheless is manifesting in, in mind. We just don't see the, the difference. When there's no, there's no illusory reality, then the mind and manifestations in mind are in harmony. They're simply following function. The true and proper man of the way from moment to moment never permits any interruption in his mind. When, a great, when the great teacher Bodhidharma came from the West, he was simply looking for a man who would not be misled by others. Later the second patriarch encountered Bodhidharma and after hearing one word he understood. Then for the first time he realized that up to then he had been engaged in useless activity and striving. So when when he came to the uh, Waka came to the to um, see the Bodhidharma, and he said, "I I really want to learn the Dharma." And he said, "What what um, is troubling you?" And he says that my mind is not at rest. And so the Buddha said. Go and look for your mind and bring it to me. So after quite a long period of time, who knows, you could put in how many time you are. I don't think anybody was there with, with a watch or a calendar. He comes back. Suffice it to say, it was quite a bit of time enough for him to examine it for a while. And when he came back to the, the Buddha, he said, I looked everywhere for my mind and I could not find it. And the Buddha said, there, your mind is settled. 
as simple as that. This is John. It doesn't get any more profound or or easy than that. It's just that way. I searched for my mind and I couldn't find it. Then settle. There's no mind there. There's no weight cut. It's just mine. Nevertheless, they're still mine, but that's not your mind. Your mind is within mine, but it does not have this separate reality to it. And from then on, all the way down to the sixth patriarch, there's just a refrain of what was happening in all of those until it gets down to Wei Ning. And, and Wei Ning became enlightened by hearing the Diamond Sutra and somebody saying that uh, abide nowhere. And when he, he, when he heard that, it was boom. Right away, he, it was clear to him what that meant to abide nowhere and to, to simply see everything is this original nature of mine. There's no place that, that that original nature was there, including any kind of vexations. They all belong to the mind itself. That's why there is not that karma there. My understanding today is no different from that of the patriarchs and the Buddhas. If you get it with the first phrase, you can be a teacher of the patriarchs and the Buddha. If you get it with the second phrase, you can be a teacher of the humans and heavenly beings. If you get it with the third phrase, you can't even save yourself. So it's interesting because all of the treatises in the very first line tell you everything that you need to know about what they're going to talk about. And if you get it on that first one, it's there. But you don't get it, so you go to the second line. And then you, you then you have to pour through it from there on. But it's very interesting. Anything you want to read about the Dharma, when you read that first, first part, they're telling you everything there. Someone asked me, what was the Bodhidharma's purpose in coming to the West? The Master said, if he had had a purpose, he wouldn't have been able to save himself. The questioner said, if he had no purpose, then how did the second patriarch manage to get the Dharma? The Master said, what would you think the Master said to that question? If he had a purpose, he would not have been able to get the Dharma. And he said, well, then how did, he, how did the second patriarch manage to get the Dharma from him? Anybody know? No, oh, I know you guys are tired. Okay. All right, I'll give it up to you. So it says, getting means not getting. If it means not getting, the questioner asks, then what do you mean by not getting? So he's definitely not getting this. So the master said, you can't seem to stop your mind from racing around everywhere seeking something so he's he's rebuking him now and saying you you just keep wanting to to go after it and trying to chase after this questions you know like like it, it's important to me you know and he's saying and it's important to you to find but you always have another question so he says that's why the patriarch said hopeless fellows using their heads to look for their heads you must right now turn your light around and shine it on yourselves and not go seeking it somewhere else then you will understand that in body and mind you are no different from the patriarchs and the buddhas and there's nothing to do do that and you may speak of the dharma fellow believers at this time having found it impossible to refuse i'm addressing you putting forth a lot of trashy talk so he's speaking for me today too okay but make no mistake in my mind there are in fact no great number of principles grasped if you want to use the thing then use it if you don't want to use it then let it be so you don't use your car and just drive around aimlessly you use it and you use it to go to the store and you come back and you park it. 
you need to go to work, you go to work and come back. And you just use it in this way. But you don't spend time just using it aimlessly and you're not going anywhere and you don't use your mind in that way. Followers of the Buddha don't take the excuse me, followers of the way don't take the Buddha to be some sort of an ultimate goal. In my view, there's he's um, more like a hole in a privy. You know the old owl houses? And so he's equating the Buddha to a hole in the privy wall. I mean, that's that's really out there. Once I, I, I had a person that emailed me before class and he said, um, you know, I'm coming to your class and I'm looking forward to chatting with you. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> chat with me. And, and so I know what that meant. It meant that he's not coming to listen to my class. He's like, okay, you know, same thing. So he came to my class, didn't say who he was. He was in the class and waited till everybody was just about left. Then he came up and said, oh, that was an interesting lecture, but you know, Master so-and-so said this about this, and Master so-and-so said this about this. So he's like going through this checklist of things with that. And I'm like, yeah, they're right, they're right. You know, and, and they're right in their context. And I said, but to you, the, the Dharma is shit. And he went, what? And I said, he says, are you saying the Dharma is shit? I go, not to me, to you. Because you t turn it into shit. And, and you know, you have no, no idea what you're doing or saying. And he was shocked, you know. But there's times when you do say something like that to somebody because this guy's been going around from teacher to master to master and trying to distinguish and, and show them how sharp he is. And the only way you can address people like that is just see it and the way it is and say, no, you've turned this around. You're going around doing this instead of going around learning so that you can help other people. And there's a difference. And so so it was very, very shocking to him to have me say that to him. But that's what he needed to hear. So here, all of a sudden, he's talking about the Buddha being equivalent to a hole in a privy. And the bodhisattvas are so much, um, they call kangas and chains. I don't know what kangas, there must be like locks on uh, things for fettering people. Therefore, Manjushri grasped his sword, ready to kill uh, Gautama, blade in hand, tried to do injury to Shakyamuni. Followers of the way, there's no Buddha to be gained. The three vehicles, the five natures, the per teaching of the perfect and immediate enlightenment are all simply medicines to cure diseases of the moment. They have no true reality. And then even if they would, they would all be mere sham, placards proclaiming um, super superficial matters. So many words lined up pronouncements of such. Followers of the way, there are certain bald heads who turn all their efforts inward seeking this way to find some otherworldly truth, but they're completely mistaken. Seek the Buddha, Buddha and you lose the Buddha. Seek the way and you lose the way. Seek the patriarchs and you lose the patriarchs. Fellow believers, don't mistake me. I don't care whether you understand sutras or treatises. I don't care whether you are rulers or great statements. I don't care whether you pour out torrents of eloquence. I don't care whether you display brilliant intellects. All I ask you have is true and proper understanding. And that's all I ask of you. Just use right view. If you can use right view, then when you practice and you sit to meditate, you will meditate right. You will meditate with the proper understanding of what you're doing on the cushion. All that I've talked about today is that becoming a Buddha, becoming a Bodhisattva, doing all of these things, they don't matter anything. What matters is putting all of this effort that you've done in listening today and learning the way of how to meditate into practice. So you do this, 
tomorrow when you come, we're going to practice well. We're going to get this thing going. There's going to be less scattered thoughts coming into the mind. Everything is going to work much, much better. Any questions? All right, one more question. in their ability to understand and the time and the place when things are. For instance, if someone has a family member dying, you don't say, well, everything is impermanent. You know, you're not going to help them in that moment. But you, you teach people what they can, they're capable of understanding in that moment. So you, it's not like you can download everything to them, but you teach them through your practice. And, you, and when you, they see how your daily practice is, they'll become curious about how you got to be so cool and calm. Right. I okay. Have a friend like that, but then he started to ask me, like, well, what happened to some people's deaths? And then, you know, like, if you believe in recognition, like, what, what is happening? And my understanding might not, like, um, not fully now, and then plus I need to express it's okay. You 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 teach what you understand, and the other part you just leave it alone. You you be patient with it, and you direct him to where he can find the answer. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. Join palms. Thank you for coming. See you guys tomorrow. Thank you. Tomorrow I will. I will reveal the secret of life. <laughs> <laughs>